Oh, hang on. Yeah, what are we calling this podcast? <laughs> Was it over underrated? Over underrated. Sous évalué. Urvachets. Over underrated. Over underrated. Bem-vindos and welcome to part two of the Eurovision special with Paolo Mendes-George. For this part, we're going to be talking about his underrated picks from Eurovision throughout the years. So if you haven't yet listened to the first part, we actually recommend starting with that one. Will the chat be as dirty as the first one? Who knows? You'll have to listen to find out and I'll be back at the end to talk about where you can reach us. Ciao! Underrated Are we do we get to the uh, underrated now? Yes, or? underrated. So, what underrated. motivated you to pick these specific songs? What was the criteria? Uh, well, as I said, I think as I said before, I think we listen to a song or, or we 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 take in uh, a song, a table, a book, uh, whatever we we take it in with our software, and so these songs are songs for. A reason that uh, must tick a lot of boxes at my subconscious level. Um, I think it's, as I said in the beginning, melody is king for me. So I, I would say that uh, all of them have melodies that I that I like. But in some others, it's but it, in some other instances, it may be the context, it, it, uh, the content. It may be the elegance of the delivery. Uh, it may be the style, the sheer style. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't have a I don't have a, a simple answer for that. Okay, so let's get into it then. What's your first pick? Okay, so the first pick because we are now doing it in uh, chronological order from my uh, list is 1958 Domenico Modugno, which the song is called Nel Blu Dipinto di Blu, which means in the blue, painted blue, but it's known as Volare to fly because it begins as everybody does with volare and so on. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's my, my question is almost, is it really underrated? Because it's one of the all time uh, uh, success stories from Eurovision. Uh, why, why did I put it as underrated? Because the winning song from that year, nobody ever remembers. Uh, I, I had to go and listen to it. It's by a guy called André Claveau, which was a big star, must have been a big star in the days because I have Shellac records with some of his songs. I have a Shellac record collection and André Claveau figures there quite strongly. So uh, until the 19, until the mid fifties, uh, but I, I had never heard the winning song. Whereas uh, Volare, as it is known, is uh, yeah, is a classic. Is a classic, very successful uh, song. Uh, the melody is very catchy, but it's not as simple as it sounds. Uh, if you if you just try to sing it, you will realize uh, how relatively difficult, how not so simple it is. Um, the lyrics are lovely. Uh, also, the, it's about elation. It's about being in love. Uh, and then there's the, the blue in the sky and the blue in her eyes and so on. But very nice, very nice lyrics. And I think it didn't win because, same as I was saying, for nowadays, uh, pol- let's call it political voting or neighbor voting, uh, benefits maybe uh, ex-Yugoslavia and former Soviet republics. Back in the day, uh, there were five countries who had, were either French-speaking or had French as one of their languages, like Luxembourg. So 
France, Belgium, Luxembourg, Switzerland, and Monaco uh, all have French as either as the language or one of the national languages. And we're talking about uh, Eurovision, some contests with 12 to 15 entries. So that's a, a very large amount. Uh, and people have to sing in their own language. So of course, uh, if you hear someone so, something in a language that is either your mother tongue or uh, an official language of your country, it's going to it's going to stick with you a bit more. And in those days, in the difficult, in, in addition to the, let's say the French language club, something which the Portuguese were always commenting about because of course we were outsiders were the Scandinavians. They were always voting for each other. Again, they don't speak the same language, but they're from the same cultural area, and they understand uh, each other, each other's languages. Uh, and there are three countries, uh, three Scandinavian countries, uh, and if you include Finland uh, with the Nordics, it's four, although Finnish, in terms of language, it doesn't work that way. Um, so it was much more difficult in the day for someone like an Italian, where Italian is spoken in Italy and in, parts, in a small part of Switzerland. It's different from speaking French. And I think for the same reason, uh, the UK and uh, Spain and Portugal um, were also disadvantaged in that sense. Not so many people did understand. In the case of Portugal and Spain, we'll get there later, but it was, there was also a political element to it because both of them were dictatorships at the time. If all of this had not been the reality back then, I think uh, Volare, uh, yeah, Volare, I would say Volare, uh, would, have, would, have won, would have won the day. Uh, but it's it's a fantastic song. But uh, uh, luckily, even though it maybe was not rewarded as it as it could or should have been, it's it's been a, a big success uh, nevertheless. And I, I will give my score already twelve points. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, when it, when it started, I had no idea. And as soon as the chorus hit, I thought, "Oh, here we go," because I swear they sing this in football stadiums. They do. And I think that's why I knew it. And has it been covered by modern artists as Frank well? Frank Zappa, Paul McCartney, David Bowie. There we go. And apparently it won, it won a Grammy and it sold like 20 million singles. So although it didn't win, it's probably the most successful Eurovision song of all time. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a great song. It's also got a bit more of a performance than other people of that era. Like he's, you know, he's like, yeah, da, da. you know, he's going for Italian. And yeah, I quite enjoyed it. So I, I'd probably give it a 10. Yeah, I mean, I love this song. I mean, I knew this song and I I forget frequently that it comes from Eurovision because I, I feel like it's just something in the cultural space that's that's always been there. Um, I can't believe it didn't win. <laughs> and then I, I, I was even like, am I going to go and bother and listen to the first two? And I was like, well, probably not because they're just, they're not going to be as good. I'd never paid attention to the lyrics and they are beautiful when I put them into Google Translate. His performance, honestly, okay, I've, I've worked a lot this week and I was doing the research, drinking a glass of water. It made me cry. <laughs> it actually made, I was so, I think because I, uh, I mean, it ha with music, it can happen with me and I just cry and I'm like, what is, what is going on? But I think having looked at the lyrics, then seeing him and he was so, it was so authentic. It felt like he was really feeling it and the, the orchestra, it was, it was beautiful. So yeah, absolutely 12 points from me, but I, I didn't know that so many people had covered it until I, I went on the Wikipedia page. And when you go on the Wikipedia page of cover versions, it's like, it, it could almost be its its own section. And um, and yeah, and he's a, he's a really interesting guy. So he suffered a stroke 
which uh, which partially paralyzed him and that forced him to kind of abandon his artistic career. He went to rehab. So from 1986, he worked for the rights of disabled people. He was elected congressman for Turin in Italian parliament. Um, and like it, towards the end of his life, he was um, fighting for the rights of uh, people in a psychiatric hospital close to where he lived. So, you know, absolutely 12 points from me, especially because, I mean, I knew this song so well. I think I'd seen... I'd seen the images of him performing it, like him in the in the suit and the moustache. It was uh, it was familiar to me, but I think because I listened to the studio version, went to look at the lyrics, and then saw the performance, it really it really moved, unexpectedly moved me. So yeah, twelve points from me. And there's still time for Scooch to become political powerhouses. <laughs> Come on, Scooch, and not for you know the Brexit party or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think like like I said, because in those days it's such a sterile performance mm. just seeing someone move their arms kind of no. gave it more gravitas it was just, it, really? yeah it was really like because because he starts flying and then it cuts to the orchestra and i was just like oh this is so again red wine also but still like it was uh it was it was moving but yeah i think it was a whole different thing i think until particularly until 74 when abba started to uh to make a bit of a different show a bit altogether again until I would say at least the late 70s, the Eurovision finale, finale would be attended by the prime minister or the, or the president or whoever of the country. It was really a very, um, yeah, a very serious affair. And that's why uh, countries invest, invested and invest so much in it and why there is so much pride in winning and so much um, uh, sadness in, uh, in losing or getting your nul point. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that, I mean, I keep going back to it but because that's all we have, but when the year that Salvador Sobral won for Portugal, I remember before Eurovision, I was in Portugal having a coffee with a friend and I was talking to her about it because I'm a fan. And she said to me like, you know, Barbara, just Portuguese people aren't really into Eurovision. Well, that has changed. <laughs> Let me tell you that has changed because I know that the year after it was it was amazing. So yeah, so we, as I, I went to Austria 2015 and Lisbon 2018 and it was absolutely incredible to be in, well, yeah, my home city. It's, it's a vibe because in, in both of the ones that we went to, you have this kind of stage area where basically for the whole time you have concerts of all sorts. Like sometimes it's old winners, sometimes it's kind of local musicians and then you have like pop-up spaces a- across the city so it really felt like the whole city uh was living it and it's like now definitely portuguese people watch eurovision even now that you know that a few years have have passed since then speaking of portugal yeah, that's exactly what i was gonna say <laughs> nice. which i will introduce my second underrated song from 1966 uh madalena iglesias el means meaning he and her or he and she why do I have it as underrated? Well, it's um, it's a very fresh and modern song for the time, I, w- I would say. And I think particularly, uh, it would have already been, I think, an interesting, maybe even remarkable song from a, a big powerhouse like the UK or, or Italy or France in those days. Uh, but the fact that, that, that something like this came from Portugal, for me, is even more remarkable uh, because Portugal in the 1960s was uh, uh, a country with a lot of poverty, um, a dictatorship, uh, provincialism. Uh, I mean, if you, you only need to look at the first Portuguese entry into Eurovision one or two years before. It, to, it was so bad. Oh, about, my God. And it was about God or something, the, wasn't the, it? The, 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 oh, the it was so is, bad. The, the song is called Prayer. Oracel means prayer. 
And it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, that, that is a reflection of the Portugal of those days. To have something fresh and breezy like this was really, uh, I think, quite remarkable. Um, and the, the other um, reason why I like the song is that unlike the lyrics in Vicky Leandro's song uh, in 1972, this is a, a, what I would call tongue-in-cheek, a sort of a girl power song uh, before its day, because the lyrics are about a guy who is absolutely besotted with the, the girl he loves. And the, the closing verse uh, says, he without her is nobody. Uh, that's the gist of the song. Um, so it's, it, it, it's a song I very much like, was very popular in the country at the time. I think it, it, came, it came 13 out of 17. And I think I already mentioned when discussing the previous song, the, the language club uh, issue. I think in, in the case of Portugal and Spain, it was even worse because not, not, we were a dictatorship with a colonial war going on. Um, so... Uh, that reflected naturally in the very political uh, nature and the very political voting of uh, Eurovision. But a, a very nice song with that. I don't know how well you remember the um, uh, programme Thunderbirds or Stingray. Have they shown ever, Paolo? You must remember Thunder. I remember Thunderbirds. So this reminds me of the music in those shows. It's kind of like almost James Bond. It's a lot of like brass, like dun 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 dun, and so I enjoy that bit. It's not my favorite melody, but I asked about the lyrics because I noticed that her voice is very controlled, and it, she can really sort of roar and then go very very quiet. And I was interested to know why she was going more hushed. At what uh, obviously, right knowing what she's talking about, it's hard to work out why she changes how she sings throughout the song. She goes very more up when she's talking about his enthusiasm for the girl. And one of the times when she goes really, very low is when, she, when, uh, when there's a line which says, she appeared. Uh, she appeared and her beauty, blah, blah, blah. And that's one of the points of the song where she goes uh, with a lower voice. But she's, a, she's an excellent interpreter. She, has a, she can do a very throaty voice. And in fact, Barbara's late mother did a fantastic impersonation <laughs> of Mother Lady Iglesias uh, with a very low voice. I'm and, sorry to miss it. <laughs> and um, and we, we have one, because I also have a lot of uh, singles, vinyl singles, and we have have in fact the record from Madeleine Iglesias with the song uh, where, Barbara, where Barbara's mother did the impersonation of. <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to show it to her when she visits next time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't actually love the song. I enjoyed her performance. I enjoyed, enjoyed the the music behind it. So I just give it a seven out of twelve. Sorry to, um, you know, hurt Portugal. <laughs> you're entitled. You're entitled. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know this at all, despite it being a Portuguese Eurovision song that you you liked. I thought it was quite catchy and sweet. I do think the lyrics elevate it for sure, because yeah. So so as Paolo was saying, it, it's a story. It's and it starts with her saying he's a good boy, which I imagine it's being as you know he's someone who's very straight laced, you know, trying to do the right thing in life. And suddenly this woman appears, and wow, his life has shifted, and now it's it's amazing. And yeah, he's given he gives everything to this woman. And at the end, he is he is nothing without her. 
I really loved her cheekiness, her eyebrows, her, her in the fact that she was kind of side on to the to the stage. I thought was was quite interesting, and I really enjoyed for the for the Portuguese speakers when when she says rapaz, which means like you know he's a good boy. She goes she literally goes like this, which I feel yeah very Southern European. I'm doing the Italian the Italian hands probably more known. But she goes rapaz, and you know she's really emphasizing it, which I personally enjoyed again n- not my not maybe the kind of thing i would listen to um you know on a playlist but yeah i would say six six out of twelve yeah and i i wondered how big it had been in portugal i think it was quite big in portugal yeah yeah, yeah. But, uh, but but this was not an unknown person in portugal she was one of the two uh, uh pop divas big ladies okay. in fact in fact there was a quite a nice um play even though the play was not necessarily about about her there was a play in the 1990s i think and the play the play's name was in english it was a portuguese play but the title was in english and it was what happened to madalena iglesias (laughs) like who's afraid of virginia wolf i'm getting educated everyone's getting educated (laughs) but yeah let's uh let's move on to let's move on to the country next door maybe Yeah, no, the country next door. I mean, uh, so we're now in um, uh, the, the song, the the, the, uh, the underrated song is Quien uh, Maneja Mi Barca by Remedio Zamaya from Spain, 1983. Uh, it came 19 uh, last, not only came it, did it come last, it came 19 at Nulpua. It's one of the Nulpua uh, um, songs from Eurovision. Uh, and it, I think it's, a, of course, it helps if you understand the language. Um, but in this case, even if you don't understand the language, the body language and the mood of the song say say a lot. And they, I think they convey the, the sense of the song. Quien maneja mi barca as a question is who, um, who is driving my boat, if, if I can put it that way. Uh, uh, <laughs> Um, and it's about. I, I think it's a. It's a. The, the interpretation. It's. It's beguiling, magnetic. Uh, it's more than flamenco. Uh, not like I, I like flamenco. I have to say, uh, not that I'm listening to flamenco the whole time, but I like flamenco. But this is something else. This is quite. Uh, it's quite a modern uh, interpretation. Uh, yeah, as I said. It's harder to appreciate it if you don't understand the language, but the mood uh, says uh, says it all. Um, she, um, I, I think, people didn't get it, uh, or maybe you need to have a certain uh, cultural makeup to be able to appreciate it. Maybe, uh, and Portugal is not very far away either geographically or, or culturally. Um, but she said in, in an interview that things didn't go very well. She said she felt looked down. I, I actually listened to an interview from her many, many years later. It's quite an interesting, quite an interesting and a sweet uh, character, particularly in, in her, also in her young years. And she said she wasn't going well because she felt a little bit looked uh, down upon. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, on the, I think it was virtually on the day of the performance, or, or shortly before, she was rudely told that she couldn't wear the dress that she was uh, that she had prepared, which she loved and which was part of the performance, because the stage was black and the dress was black, and so she wouldn't be she, she people couldn't see her properly, and she was told apparently in very bad uh, manners that uh, no, she couldn't she couldn't wear that dress. 
And she was uh, apparently very upset by this. And her barefoot performance was not something that happened by design. Was that she was so upset she was didn't even want to think about shoes or whatever. She decided she would go barefoot. She she told her entourage, just don't talk to me, leave me, leave me to myself. And mm -hmm. uh, and so she went in with this all this uh, all this uh, pressure. Um, and then I think when you I, I listened to a program on on Spanish television now preparing for the podcast. I think it was really a shock for, for Spain because I think in Portugal, we were always used to getting very low scores. <laughs> Spain <laughs> had already won uh, a few times by the time this happened. I think it was really, really very, uh, very, very, uh, a very, very big shock. Um, I think the, the, the song was chosen and we were talking about a little bit earlier about uh, how songs are chosen in different countries. I think it varies. In this case, apparently, there were some young or new executives at uh, Spanish television who said that, look, we don't have to go there to Eurovision trying to act like a Eurovision song. We just have to show what we do and uh, the, the way that we do and the best that we do. And that, that was apparently the idea behind uh, choosing this song at this stage. Uh, but clearly, it didn't work. Uh, was it ahead of its time? uh maybe people people didn't get it maybe nowadays with people traveling a lot more and knowing a little bit more about other cultures it would have been uh it would have been treated differently some people said that it was better that it lost with no points than it than if it had lost with a few points because that that made it a little bit more honorable mm. uh but I, I think i think it's a, a great in, injustice of uh, Eurovision, but I'm interested to know, and I, I know because Barbara has told me that she didn't know this song and she apparently likes it. Uh, I, was, I, it, I have it, been texting Paula, I'm sorry, Fran, <laughs> in advance, saying, how have I only just heard of this? But yeah. And, but I, I think it's interesting to know because Fran is from Northern Europe, from a completely different uh, musical culture. I think it's, it, it, yeah, it's well, interesting I, I, to know what you, what both of you think. Um, yeah, Fran, what did you think? Okay, I'll, I'll start positive. And say that <laughs> I enjoyed the headband. I missed that, that, that rolled up headband look you well, get in the 80s. Yeah, that's wasn't great. It's made up why. It all makes sense. I prefer the recorded version to her performance. And now you said that maybe her performance lacked something because of the pressure she had um, from the German um, production crew. Yeah, it's a singing style that doesn't sit too well with me. I struggled to find the melody. It seems to be sort of like constantly changing and I couldn't sort of find a particular melody that I enjoyed. Um, also, regarding performance, I noticed that she points all the time. And if you've learned something, something from Tony Blair, you, sh you should never point. You should always do the knuckle or it looks like you're telling somebody off. So I don't think that went with her somehow. So I was going to give her uh, no poids. I apologize. What? <laughs> okay. It's injustice repeated. Is... We can understand. Okay, I I think this this might be the like the one song across our podcast where we have the most differing opinion. What an injustice! This song is amazing. I cannot believe, Paolo, that you and Lucia liked this song, and I never heard it until today. Uh, well, until yesterday when I was preparing for for it. I absolutely love the mix of flamenco and synth pop, basically, but. I have to say that this is the one where I was the most glad to listen to the studio version before I saw the performance. So 
studio version comes on, I was like, what is going on here? Because in the studio version, you can really hear the synths, you can really hear the bass. There's a whole soundscape and there's even vocoders. Whereas in Eurovision, it's live drums, brass and woodwind. And it, I don't think it has the same impact. Like it really, the bass fan, it's Duran Duran-esque. Like, yeah, it's, it's, exactly. I mean, I saw the live performance twice. And then just before I came on, I then heard the uh, studio version. Mm-hmm. And if, you go, if I'm going by her performance on that night, Mm. I did not enjoy that performance. But yeah, I I have honestly been listening to it all day long. I think it's incredible. I I'm I'm someone who very much appreciates the genre mashup, and you know flamenco. You know, uh, my mum used to play the the classical guitar, so she she played a few flamenco things. So I I think there is a bit of that. Of it is something that I grew up with a little bit, so it's not completely unfamiliar to me but flamenco normally is something that i wouldn't normally seek out although rosalia being so popular now and and bringing flamenco also into into the the kind of real the real mainstream she's she's huge i it had already opened my mind up a bit more to like yeah flamenco maybe is something i i would like to get into now i'm like let's go remedio samaya i want to i want to go and listen to everything and yeah i would listen to turuturai which is her biggest song according to spotify love that i think yeah, her performance, it makes sense what you say, Paolo, that um, she, there was a, re- there's a reluctance in it. So I, I would like to give this 12,000 points. Thank you very much. I, uh, I cannot believe you deprived me of this <laughs> until 2021. I'm interested to know what Spain did the next year. Did they go back on their laurels and go to something more Eurovision? after failing miserably with uh, being Spanish, I wonder. <laughs> but I mean, what, what actually, on that, I would not have guessed immediately was flamenco. I thought it was Arabic almost when she started singing because I have to say, even with the lyrics in front of me, listening, it's almost difficult to understand what she's singing is, is what she's saying. And yeah, Wikipedia says, this song fused Spain's Arabic, Andalusian, Sephardic and Gypsy heritage with contemporary Anglo-Saxon pop and rock. So, yeah, I guess even for Spain, it's out there, right? But it, it, it is like some of the other songs we've been discussing. It is, it, it, gets, it gets to you more if you know the language, even if the, the lyrics oh, yeah. are, are very, very simple. Uh, but uh, to me, no. To me, I had no idea what the hell she was saying apart from being no, on a boat. I think... <laughs> This is the one who who, uh, who guides my boat. Who how do you say it in English? Who drives my boat? Who sails my boat? Well, it's, it's like yeah. The one who, depends if it's a speedboat or uh, the one who commands. <laughs> <Yeah>. the, <laughs> the the one who who um, the, or the captain of my boat uh, takes me drifting. Or, yeah, but, but honestly, almost takes or almost takes me drifting. That's one of the thing. And uh, the other one is no matter how much you ask me, I will not go there. And that's the, the end of the, the line. I had no idea what she was saying and it it, it still made an impact on me. So I, I, I think if you, yeah, if you like that kind of thing, it can, you can still like it without knowing the lyrics. So I'm guessing given it's null point, Fran, you're not motivated to perhaps seek out a uh, flamenco concert in your local area <laughs> to, to see if I, you change I your mind. I admire the dexterity of playing a flamenco guitar, but it's not on my um, top of my list to, to get into. Moving on to Italia. 
Alice in Franco, Franco Battiato, in fact, uh, Itreni di Tosio, Italy, um, who came in at number five uh, in 1984. Uh, why did I put it here? Well, it came in at number five. Uh, for me, it could have come in at number one. Digilu Digile came in at number one. I also like Digilu Digile, but... Um, doesn't sound good. Uh, I don't know it, what it is, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> it, it, it really does. is a very slick and sophisticated uh, production. Uh, the voicing, uh, I have to say, like in this one, the same as in the other ones, I only listened to the um, to the performance at Eurovision evening because that's what I remembered. I went back to what I remembered having uh, watched originally. Um, and in a couple of instances, their voices, the voicing goes from him to her and they, they just fuse. It's very, very nice. In addition to the, the, the songs being so, um, so smooth, really. The opera singing at the end is a little bit Eurovision-y, but it, it adds to an, an unusual, a relatively unusual signature. And the, I think the orchestration renders the rolling rhythm of the train and the, the feeling of the train really beautifully. Uh, you can really understand that this is a song uh, about a train. Um, and it was a, a success in many countries, uh, apparently, despite coming in at number, at number five. Um, was it too sophisticated for Eurovision? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it was a high quality entry from Italy. And in fact, one of the things that struck me, just as a, a final remark, not about the song, but about Italy, is that if you listened to, as there are lists for everything on Spotify, internet, whatever, YouTube, about the Italian entries to Eurovision, the quality is remarkably high. Uh, they are very often quite unusual songs. Uh, but they, I would say that they are, on the whole, maybe the country coming up with the highest quality songs, the highest quality entries. And so for me, certainly this one uh, is, is a case in point. For me, I heard Giorgio Moroder a little bit, better Italian, the electro. The baseline reminds me of Radio Gaga, um, I guess it's a similar, but the performance is bonkers. Because every time Franco stops singing, he steps behind her and then looks at her like, like a creep. It's a really weird choice of, of, of what are you doing, mate? Yeah, so that put me off. Yeah, it's, it's a really unique style. He reminds me of Adrian Brody from The, the Pianist a lot. I was wondering which nerd it was, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, that nerd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a, a, a cute nerd, a cute nerd. And definitely. she's got some very interesting gloves going on <laughs> from another... Uh, pastime and yeah the cro- the opera choir i loved it bring it into more guys aren't more opera choir just give them my what is the point of giving a choir one line at the end of a song it's like really strange choices so i thought it's kind of bonkers it felt happy sad like again i don't know what the lyrics were at the time um so yeah i'll give it like a nine out of twelve um yeah so this song i was like oh it's that song that paolo listens to all the time like because i recognized it from you listening to it all the time no idea it was eurovision no idea anything so i was like again very very pleasantly surprised and it was another one where i am so glad that i listened to the studio version (laughs) before going to see the performance because i'm with fran like it is it is weird he is weird their chemistry is weird why is he standing behind her and just like sitting there dead faced like 
no no emotion because i only knew this song from you know never paid attention to the lyrics might not have even guessed it was italian from from paying attention to it of course paolo of course you pick a song about trains you cheeky civil engineer you of course like there's opera there's trains paolo's gonna love it of course it, it all it all slots into place but again maybe the red wine maybe something else but maybe because i do associate it with with childhood memories of what well, childhood adult memories when i went to to read the lyrics and then saw the performance i was i was quite moved as well like um i think it, it really swells and builds and when the opera comes in like I, I on the one hand i agree with you fran like they should have employed them more it would have it would have been better backing vocal but because they come in right at the end it, it kind of hits you and that was i was really even though I knew it was coming because I, I knew the song. Um, yeah, I, I would give this 12 points. Yeah, and I, I actually, I wrote down exactly what you said, Paolo, of gosh, Italy are good at Eurovision uh, because I was thinking of, of more modern ones as well. Uh, well, one of which I'll mention in, in the next one. But we've already mentioned Mahmoud, um, yeah. Uh, who's, yeah, I think I would, I would agree. That can, I, don't I, know. I, I think Italy are the most underrated country, let's say. If, well, see, uh, I, I, would, I feel like for once I'll be the nerdier one. I would have to go and do some analysis on that. I think I'd have to I'd not go and listen to everything, but I'd, you know, I'd have to do an analysis before coming to that conclusion. But, That's uh, Sweden, the most successful yeah. country still. Ireland, no? Ireland have won seven Regarding times? Wins. Yeah, yeah, you're correct. Seven times. Yeah. And then Luxembourg five, and they've given up, haven't they? Sweden four. But Sweden, it's interesting that you say you went to Sweden and people didn't really seem into it because I know Swedish people as being really obsessed with Eurovision. Yeah. I mean, we're all in the early 20s. So I guess people in the early 20s into rock and roll and indie music aren't going to pretend to like Eurovision, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not cool, is it? Um... Yeah, I, I would, uh, yeah, I, I would give it, um, yeah, ten points. Yeah. Wow, I gave it more than you. Amazing. I give it ten so, points. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't. Did I? Did I? Did I? Uh, yeah, I would give. I would give ten points to Spain. Also, I didn't give my scores to Remedia Zamaya. Yeah, I would okay. also have given that. 10 points. What would you give it, Fran? Oh, this one here. Yeah, I'd give it a ten. Okay. Mm-hmm. At the moment, uh, at the moment, I believe. Um, Track Italian, uh, what's it called? I can't pronounce it. The first one's the winning, isn't it? Uh, no, no, blue deep, oh, well, Volare. Yes, yeah, Volare is winning it currently. <laughs> okay, in, in, in the Fran Babs Paolo Eurovision. Yes, great. <laughs> so, is there a chance for one last song to win it? Let's see. Yes. And the last song in my list is a recent one, is the 2018 France, Merci. Or should it be Mercy? Mm. Uh-huh. Which, as I've now discovered, I thought it was Merci, written the French way, thank you, with I. And when I saw it with Y, I thought, oh, that someone made a spelling mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, I, I, it does say, I mean, the, the, the lyrics say it is about uh, a baby girl uh, born in, uh, in a rescue boat uh, and the boat rescuing uh, refugees in the Mediterranean. Uh, um, this I knew, uh, but I didn't. I, I I didn't know what I didn't know it, is that it's based on a true story, uh, because the um, the authors and interpreters of the song, the duo, Madame Monsieur, by the way, Madame Monsieur, France, two thousand eighteen, they were taking a break from 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 the from some the musical work. Uh, they were on Twitter and they realized that there was there was a baby born to an I think an Nigerian couple on the refugee rescue boat as it was approaching Italy. 
uh, and when they read about this, they thought they had to they had to reflect it in their music, and that's how the song came about. Apparently, uh, why do I have it here? Um, it's so cool and sophisticated. Uh, it's so far away from the wind and wind wind and fire staging uh, of Eurovision. And, and I think the coolness and the sophistication, because I, I'm referring always back to the performance on the evening, it's not just the song, but the, the staging, the wardrobe, the, their look. Uh, I think it's, it's French savoir-faire at, at its best. Um, so I, I, I quite like it. It has a strong message, of course. It carries emotion. Um, and I, I find didn't bring me to tears, but I watched the video on the final show and found and, and I found it quite moving. I mean, and you saw uh, this live, and I saw it live. But it, I thought it was even more moving because of the way it's uh, shot and cut. I thought it was even more moving in the video than I did uh, watching it live. Um, and apparently, it was voted the best entry by the accredited media and press at Eurovision Lisbon. So I'm not alone in thinking this is uh, this is a good song. I think it's it's really it's cool. It's very very it's a very cool song uh, with a message and and a nice melody, of course. Again, I watched the performance before I heard the studio version, and I prefer the studio version, especially the um, production and Babs. Remember the girl in red with Rue. It sounds like that. It's a very similar production to that song. So it's very modern. I guess it's 2018. It's going to sound modern, isn't it? But um, even for your vision, it's quite a cool production. I remember watching this live and not loving it. So I, I, I thought it was a little bit forgettable. When you talk about countries and their voices, I've always struggled a bit with, with the French language singing, um, even like Christine and the Queens. I, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's a certain languages that you prefer like I'm um, I, I enjoy listening to the Swedish um, language um, I enjoy listening to Italian um, but for some reason French I don't know why it is that it always kind of affects me um, maybe because I'm a massive racist I guess um, <laughs> you're British after all right like it's they're, they're your natural enemies right no, but I guess I guess the French has got a very it's hard it's hard to hide friends isn't it it's the way that they pronounce things like clicks or so maybe i don't know um maybe i, I hated friends at school um <laughs> but yeah um yeah if it's if you're talking about the um the, the studio version i would give it um an eight out of 12 but going on their live performance um i didn't feel anything um i give it a six yeah so i didn't see the song live so when when i said that paula watched it live i mean really live in the arena because this was eurovision in lisbon that we attended and paula had tickets for everything so the rehearsals of the semi-finals the semi-finals the rehearsal of the final and the final and so me and my friend yosha went to i think the first semi-final the actual one because paula and francis kindly francis his husband not francis on this podcast kindly lent us their tickets um, so, and it was a really amazing experience. And Yosha, who was cynical, let's say, you know, he went because he was like, yeah, sure, why not? By song two, he was absolutely into it. So it was, it was a really fun to see. And it, it is a very different experience watching Eurovision live. I didn't watch this song live because it wasn't in the semi final that I watched. But when I saw it, I was like, really? Of all the other songs, and I mean, I'll, I'll go into later some of my favorites. Why this one? I heard the studio version. It, it was actually the opposite to you, Fran. I listened to the studio version and I was like, okay like it's yeah it's a modern pop song fine and then when I watched the performance 
I guess because I was watching it decontextualized from all the others, just focusing on that one, I enjoyed it much more. Uh, again, I think in part because of the lyrics, because yeah, that I, I didn't know that it was based on a real story, but when you look at the lyrics, it's obviously about a, a refugee child. And I think when you know that you feel the emotion that they're giving. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I would concur that, yeah, the, the lyrics are fundamental uh, in this song to, to, yeah. to, 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 to appreciate it fully. Yeah. You, yeah. Do you, so you, perhaps yeah. mentioned earlier that you have subtitles of the lyrics when you watch it. On BBC, on yeah, BBC. I've yeah, yeah. I think you, you press the red button or whatever it is, but I definitely have watched it on BBC with subtitles where it's like immediately in English. Really? Because yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it would help a lot if you knew what people were thinking about on half. Oh, song, and sometimes so. it's amazing. Like you know, you go on Twitter and sometimes people will screenshot the the kind of the terrible. I have to say, yeah, there were some not great lyrics, but I mean, there are some all time clangers, which uh, which I'm sure we we could have we could do a whole episode on that. On, on this song, I think, yeah, I'm glad you picked it because it, it did change my opinion, actually, kind of going back and revisiting it by itself. Um, but yeah, I think um, I went and looked at what, what songs had I saved from this year because I, I had Spotify by then. And yeah, some I'd forgotten. So the Italian one, Non Mi Avete Fatto Niente, was really good. And that also, that was kind of like message, but not really a message because it's these two very kind of serious Italian guys taking it in turns. Um and when you go and look at the lyrics, yeah, it's about like, you know, hands without hands, faces without names, let's swap our skin. Basically, we are human. There is no pacifist bomb. You you get the you get the vibe. Um, and I'd I'd forgotten because I was like, yeah, like what, what was it like on the night? Um, they as they were singing in Italian, visually they represented some of the lines in different languages. So like in Portuguese and, and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it, that that was that was very good. I'd saved the Ukrainian entry and I was like, well, this is a forgettable song. And that was the crazy vampire guy. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, so he starts singing the piano because yeah, I watched it again last night. He rises up and then you know walks down the steps and then then the piano is on fire. And I was like, oh yeah, that it is fair enough, quite quite memorable. And yeah, there was the the metal song, basically the melodic metal song, which I remember you hating. I I thought it was okay. And Slovenia was would have been I think maybe my underrated pick. It was this woman with very with pink hair, and um, it it was a very funky pop song where there's a little bit of rapping there's a little bit of song but then there is this kind of bridge where it, it builds and then you're like ah okay this is classic eurovision so so yeah i think i think 2018 was uh was a good year but um uh yeah i i personally would have picked something else but i would give you know on on reflection i would give uh i would give the song maybe seven points yeah maybe i would give it yeah eight, but to me it's in the yeah eight points from the uh, eight mm-hmm. thereabouts yeah sorry fran you were gonna say um Regarding um, this year, is it 2020 acts carried over? No. No, really? Oh, no, hang on. Hang on. Some of them, some of I them, I said that yes. with such confidence. No, some, I have no some idea. Some of them have carried over. I think the Dutch entry and the Macedonian entry have carried over. I think it's not the same song, sorry. It, it, like, ah. it, it can't be the same song as 2020. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Iceland can't win it. No. They're, they're cool song. Yeah, I, do you remember Iceland? Paolo, it was the the guy with the sweatshirts with everyone's face on it. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't particularly like it. Uh, everyone in the UK was going mental for it, I think, <laughs> because it's a very funny song. And I know I saw Fran, the comedian Sarah Barron, talking about um, her husband buying them all, the, the sweatshirts from that video. And she was like, when are we ever going to wear these? Like, <laughs> for what occasion are we going to wear these sweatshirts? <laughs> but yes, I... You know, I'm going to say 
Paolo, you surprised me. I thought this was a very savvy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm slagging you off. You are, you are, you are my dad after all. But yeah, given our our background and our, uh, the arguments we have had about music in the past, I thought this was going to be a lot more syrupy. There were some songs that I was really surprised that that you liked. And uh, I personally would be forever grateful for for learning about Remedio Samaya because that was uh, that's a that's a big surprise. I'm sure, Franny, I'm sure the praise won't be as high from you, and and that's okay. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I quite enjoyed mm. watching old Eurovisions. It's not every day I watch mm-hmm. songs that weren't the winners, so it's nice to see what else was out there. Because obviously, I'm sure there's hundreds of fantastic songs that I will never see on the best of shows and there's something terrible happens in their performance um so yeah I, I mean there's not, nothing here I really hated <laughs> apart from you know that one song uh <laughs> but yeah I mean I think sadly I, I probably preferred more in the overrated category yeah I mean I, I enjoyed the overrated category more than I would yeah no I I, I enjoyed the overrated category too except for Azerbaijan I think yeah. Oh, Ellen, Nikki, I yeah. hope you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on. Well, thank, thank you for inviting me. It's been a great experience. My first ever podcast. Maybe last, who knows? <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> stay living. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's all I meant. <laughs> Um, obviously, you don't have anything to plug because you don't have a podcast. Is there any any finishing words of wisdom or any, uh, I don't know, any words for someone who might have been listening to this episode who normally isn't a Eurovision fan to try and convince them? Yeah, what 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 would you like to end with? I, th- I think uh, you, no I, you, you, you either like pop music or you don't. I think Eurovision has been there long enough for there to be very different uh, styles, dominant styles in different uh, different times. And what we uh, what we were talking about from the 1950s or 60s is very different from the from the current times. Uh, but I think I think there's potential to like Eurovision if you like pop music. Um, and if you don't, uh, and, and, and if you you take it, uh, if you don't come to it uh, already with some um, pre well, prejudice, really, uh, at the end of the day, but it's not everybody cups. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But it's it's good fun. Uh, I think it's the longest uh, uh, the longest surviving uh, musical contest in the world, sort of thing. Uh, there's now a body of, I think, almost 1,600 uh, songs from when it started. Because if you go to Wikipedia, actually, each song has a, a serial number. And I think oh, for, wow. for 2019, <laughs> we are in the we're in the 1560s. Yeah. Uh, so that, there's a very large body uh, of music there. Yeah, a friend asked me about what year was my favorite. I'm not sure, but I think somewhere in the 80s, maybe 82, 83. Um, Remedios Amaya was 83. Uh, Trenitito Zeur is uh, 84, so around that time before mm-hmm. I more or less disconnected. Uh, for me, there is a year that is quite um, important, pivotal, um, which is 1974 with the victory of ABBA, which was, I think, when it transitioned to use today's language from French chanson to something a little bit more pop. 
And um, I, I guess I actually hadn't made the connection, but 1974 is the year that the dictatorship ended in Portugal. In Portugal too, and, and in fact, there, there is another story, which is the Portuguese entry of 1974. Yes, was the second, was the first of two code songs to launch the revolution, uh, played on national radio at a certain time in a certain program. And the reason why it was chosen was that it, it, it was so neutral that it was not going to raise suspicions that something was going on. The second uh, code song was another one, which is from a very well-known uh, author, singer, songwriter, José Afonso, which is much more, I say, closer to a communist type uh, song. So, in the Pois de after the goodbye, the Portuguese entries of 1974, did play a historic role in Portugal uh, that year. Uh, in fact, between winning the national, um, the national contest, and being played at Eurovision because the revolution was in April. So by the time Eurovision took place, uh, the revolution had, had already started. So there you are. We mm -hmm. finish on a on a political load. What a what a marvelous way to end. <laughs> and and Fran, do you feel because yeah, I, I still haven't quite got a handle on on how you really feel about Eurovision. You know, is it is it something that you look forward to uh, every year? Is it something you're a bit more passive about? Has this episode changed your opinion? Let's go back to the original idea of your vision being a way to unite the post-war countries in Europe. How's that happened? Are we now a closer continent because of your vision? Maybe not. Do I enjoy it as a spectacle? Yes. I mean, I watch it. I mean, yeah, I, I will sit down and watch your vision. Very rarely will I go away wanting to download or buy a track from your vision. I mean, I like pop music, but it's a certain style of pop that doesn't really suit me, but it would be lovely one day, though. And I've seen Radiohead on a chat show shake hands to say that they would do your vision. And that has <laughs> that has not happened. And they shook hands with Jonathan Ross to say they will write a song for Europe about 15 yeah. years ago. And I'm still waiting. I mean, Tom this York. might be a bit macabre for people who haven't gone through this, but I think my mum would literally rise from her grave to, to, to see that because that that would be amazing. Tom, can you imagine? And they, they, they could do, I mean, depending which which radio heads they went with, they could they could do really well. Mm. Wow. So it'd be really interesting if if UK like put a a massive artist like Coldplay or whatever into your vision and tried would we win or would the political world but do you still know, make do, us do you know what i think it might be because five. i, I be actually remember my cousin sharing sharing a meme where it was something like you know you can be the best singer in the world or you know you, you can do very well in your native country but ultimately if you're not singing in english you're not going to break through and you know maybe there's a bit there's truth in in today's world where k-pop dominates and and I think people are more open to, to listen. Well, the English speaking world is more open to listening to songs, not in their language. But I, I, I think it might be that like, listen, it, the UK, the English speaking world dominates in so many other areas. Let us have this one, you know? So I think there's maybe a bit less willingness um, for that. And I, I do think the fact that the UK is in it every year, mm. that, that, you know, they're not given a chance to kind of like go away with their tail between their legs and come back stronger. You know, they know it's there. So, yeah, let's roll out Engelbert Humperdinck or Bonnie Tyler or whoever it was, rather than actually thinking about it a bit more strategically. I think that does play play a role. 
And I'm all for us getting eliminated. You know, we had protests last yep. week of the uh, European Super League um, getting rid of competition, and then we're getting a bye <laughs> to the final in Eurovision. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy for us to be eliminated. Well, I, I, I would say maybe, Paolo, you wouldn't agree with that because you, you would say that the the UK had some good entries and has the chance to have some good entries. But, uh, has the chance. Um, I think, the, I think the, the heart is not in it uh, mm-hmm. right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's much more difficult to, as I said, I'm repeating myself from earlier on, there are a lot more boys and girls playing now. It's not like the world, the, world, the, world of, uh, the world of 80 years ago, 70 or 80 years ago, where there were uh, half a dozen big players and that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, uh, it's it's very annoying, but you have to compete. With, with it's very annoying, but you have to be good, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I... I, I will finish by saying that I can I can understand the knee-jerk reaction against Eurovision because I had that knee-jerk reaction once. And when you do see the roundups of Eurovision, very often it is the person with the craziest staging makeup, whatever it is. But I, I will emphasize again, I mean, we didn't get into it because there's only so much time, but there are so, like you, you said, Fran, very few times have you gone away and kind of saved or explored a song. I think so as well. It, it hasn't been that many people that I, I could probably kind of, I could name them on one hand, but those that I got in from Eurovision, I really got into Sebastian Tellier, the, the, I think the, was he the first French entry singing in English uh, back in, I'm, oh God, I don't know, 2012. He is amazing. And he is, he's, he's one of those artists where I, I haven't listened to every single song. Sorry. I haven't listened to every single song on his back catalog, but I have seen him live twice and I have cried both times again with the crying with the music. And I don't think I would have gotten into him if it wasn't for Eurovision. And there's a, you know, powder, you were saying to like Eurovision, you have to like pop music in a way. Yes. You have to go in with an open-mindedness that if you're a pop lover, you would, but I don't think that's completely true because there are a lot of different genres going on. And even within pop, there are phases, obviously, you know, from mm-hmm. now, you know, there is a kind of electro-ness and I'm sure trap will be coming to Eurovision sometime soon. Yeah, it hasn't gone very, very hip hoppy. There's been a few kind of funky pop songs. So it'll be interesting to see if that changes in the next few years. But I, I think people should just see it as a general music competition. And if you do, you might be pleasantly surprised. Well, hopefully, we have made you a bit more of a Eurovision fan today. And thank you very much, Paolo, for coming on. And I hope this hasn't made you disown me. <laughs> the opposite. Oh, lovely. Fran, anything to add? Just, you know, keep being you guys. Um, love Europe. Love music. Stay safe. <laughs> Amazing. Bye. 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 Well, we hope you enjoyed this two-parter with Paolo Mendes-George, my beloved father. We're going to keep talking about Eurovision while it's still happening. So the next episode that's coming out, Fran and I are going to be looking at our top overrated and underrated choices for this year specifically, 2021. So if that sounds like your kind of thing, keep tuned. And if you're sick of us talking about Eurovision and want us to talk about something else, or you have any other suggestions or feedback, you can get in touch with us. It's OU Music Pod on Twitter, at Over Underrated Music Pod on Instagram, or you can email us, Over Underrated Music Pod at gmail.com. Enjoy Eurovision. Have a good time. Stay safe out there.
Peace out.